Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. And then when I found out how concerned the comedy community was for me, how much they were like, you know, they started a GoFundMe. My friend Marina Franklin did that. And then and then how much they started donating and people were really on pins and needles and cared that, you know, whether I lived or died, you know, that was like, wow. In 2019, comedian Kyle Groom suffered a seizure and had to have emergency brain surgery. The experience spawned the show Kyle Groom's Brain Humor, which has been a hit on Amazon Video. We talk about his career journey, second chances, family, and humor amid racial turmoil. Stick around. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon & Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple at linkfulldradio.com. Please subscribe, rate us, and recommend Full Disclosure to others. And follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FullDRadio. Joining me from Miami, my hometown, is funny man Kyle Grooms, a prolific comedian, veteran comedian who in 2020 released the stand-up special that documented your ordeal with uh, a brain tumor and a seizure called Kyle Grooms' Brain Humor. Got rave reviews on Amazon. He's been on VH1, NBC, BET, CBS, HBO. A great clip on The Chappelle Show, which you can YouTube. And his first album, The Legend of the Jersey Devil, was named one of iTunes' top 100 comedy albums of 2009. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm great, man. And uh, after that introduction, I'm feeling even better, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you and I met at the International Church of Cannabis, and I remarked to people seeing the uproarious set that you performed that night that I laughed so hard at your deadpan comedy, the look, the glasses, the, <laughs> the father thing, everything, that I thought I was going to have an aneurysm, yeah. which turned to be a very fateful thing to say, because tell us what happened to you two years later in 2019. Oh, yeah, I had a, well, actually, it was kind of like an aneurysm, but it was a, a brain bleed. Um, yeah, I had a, a seizure out eating at a vegan restaurant, of all things, you know. And uh, I was with my family and end up, uh, they rushed me to the hospital and um, found that I had a brain bleed. They had to have emergency surgery to stop it. So, um, yeah. And, and, so you, yeah, were your wife, surgery, you were with your wife, you were with your wife, you were with your wife and kids. Were you with your wife and kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was with my wife and kids. My my daughters, my my daughters were five and, and three at the time. And they were freaking out about it. And uh, yeah, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, you know, because I'm I work out all the time. I'm in great health, and yeah, it just came it went out of nowhere. You know, uh, people have tumors in their brains that that so, end up bleeding. <laughs> yeah. So your wife, your wife is a nurse, and what did she detect? Something like a stroke, or what? What happened? Were you slurring no, your she, speech? Yeah, no, no, no. What happened was we sat down to eat, and uh, I just started shaking, like convulsing, like my 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 left my right arm started to shake. And uh, I didn't know what was going on. And I started uh, sweating really hard. And I started to get up. And there was a big guy in the restaurant that grabbed me and sat me down. 
And then I just, I just know from experience just to focus on your breathing. Cause you know, if I'm a breathing, I'm alive. So that's how I knew I was going to, I'm alive. And I, I said, I'll focus on my breathing. And, uh, once I did that, I was able to settle myself and self and my right arm was completely numb. It was like dead. I had no use of it. And then my speech was slurring and I was sweating. And uh, then the paramedics came. Uh, my daughter, someone gave them a cell phone. So they calmed down. And, uh, you know, after that, they rushed me to the hospital and, you know, and, uh, found out I had a cavernoma. What did they rush you that to Jackson? The, the medical term for it. No, they, they luckily they, they didn't. They, Jackson, I, Mount Sinai. No, I went to Hollywood Memorial, Hollywood Regional, Regional Memorial, Regional in Hollywood by Fort Lauderdale, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was lucky because the, the service there was great, man. I don't know if you if you ever have something done, go there, man. They they have the the the, the spirit of Florence Nightingale in that place, man. You know. Well, you should My get wife them to, is a you nurse should get them and, to sponsor you know. your routine in Fort Lauderdale or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle, tell me how it felt. How was the out of body feeling of this? So your brain, you have enough oxygen and everything in your brain to realize that your body is giving out and you're looking around and you can feel that your arms seized up and you could feel that you want to say things but you can't. What is that feeling like? Oh man, it's you, your body, your brain is snapping like a, a million miles a minute, you know, and you're trying to find answers. Like at first, you know, I was doing a body check, like, okay, my heart's not hurting. So I knew it wasn't a heart attack. I didn't think it was a stroke because, you know, the way I eat, I'm a vegan. I eat a plant-based diet. I work out three or four times. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was just dying, to be honest. I was like, oh, maybe this is just it. You know, it's like, I felt like I got hit with infinity stones, you know? Like I was just like fading away, you know, and uh, you know, I thought about my family and I thought about losing my ability to perform, to do stand up because that's my bread and butter. I don't write jokes down. They're all in my head, you know, and that that and my arm was numb, so I couldn't even hold a microphone. So that's a problem, too. So just my livelihood was on the line, you know, and then then. So did they put you did they put you in an ambulance, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, the the parent the paramedics showed up, you know, they had proud boy haircuts. I, I made note of that, but uh that was okay. <laughs> and then uh they put me in the ambulance and uh, I was able to walk myself to the gurney and got in and yeah, they were real nice guys and they took me to the hospital and my wife followed in the car. So Kyle, I got to ask you. So while you're in there, did you have enough presence of mind to kind of have a fear of death? Like this might have been it. If it's a stroke or something bigger, or were there any diagnostics that they could do inside the ambulance to say, hang in there, we're going to get you to the ER? Yeah, it, you know, it was it was happening so fast, you know, um, and I took my vegan food to go. So that, that I was kind of confident, you know, <laughs> that it would work out. My mortality didn't didn't really sink in for me until after I got a checkup. Then the doctor told me that. They cut my head open and they had to do drill holes and all that stuff. That that part freaked me out. But until then, I was just kind of numb and I just felt vulnerable. And like, I remember my nephews came in the room and I just started crying because, you know, just for, I, I felt helpless, really, you know, and just hope for the best. And, and you know, and, and thinking about my daughters and growing up without me, you know, that's just, ooh, I didn't even want to think, go that, I didn't even allow myself to think that yet, you know. It ain't over till it's over. <laughs> I don't know. 
I gotta ask a crazy question. You retained some bit of gallows humor to tell me that you made sure to take your vegan carryout with you in the ambulance. But <laughs> were you kind of scouting around for comic material? Like, did you suspect I gotta I can't write this down right now, but I really have to take note of it, make mental notes of it, because at some point, gosh, how can I not talk about this if yeah, I get out? You know what is funny? It's just it, I think that's just how it works. Like my mind records things like I've been in life threatening situations a few times and you you start to record things even as they're happening. You know, like one th- the first thing it was like, you know, the people weren't helping. The first time my wife started screaming, no one moved like the vegans just kind of sat there watching it all happen without calling 911. And they're like, someone call 911. Like, you call 911. You call 911. And then I remember thinking, had I been a, a baby seal or something, they probably all would have jumped, you know, immediately. Had I been like, you know, someone harming an animal. It's, you know, it's like, and then the uh, paramedics with the, their haircuts, you know, that was funny to me. Like, wow, these guys, and then they, we kind of looked at each other like, huh? And then, <laughs> I don't know, you, you just record things. Like, I almost drowned in the ocean in a year before that, and I started recording funny things as it was happening. <laughs> you just, you know, if I make it out of this, this is going to be funny. I don't know. Kyle, uh, tell me about what they did, and I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated by what happened in the hospital. Did they, uh, you, you imagine what's going on in the ER ward? Did they get you back up in the elevator for an MRI to open up your brain? Did they know that there was internal bleeding? in the brain. How do they even diagnose for that absent kind of a PET scan or MRI? Oh, when you get, when I got to the hospital, they, they knew it was since my, I had a seizure and I never had a history of seizures. They scanned my brain and uh, I got, I went in the hospital on a Friday and luckily there was a neurosurgeon in the hospital on that Friday. Uh, so that was, that was lucky because normally they go home. They did a, they kept it, they did an MRI <laughs> And a CAT scan where they just shoot me up with dye, and they uh, right. they put me in a machine, and then it and it scans my whole body, and it sees what, and then it 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 could read the um, the bleed. It saw that it had a a cavernoma. It's a for, a group of cells that form a tumor. If somehow they started bleeding, and uh, yeah, it showed up on the screen. So. This was a benign. This was a benign tumor, a growth in yes, your yes, gray matter yes. in your a, brain. A group of cells that come together and form a little lump, I guess, and then and whatever that was, it started to bleed. And the reason it started bleeding, we have no idea. So let me I'm ask: uh, Were you worried about? How did they know immediately that it wasn't a terminal cancer or, or something like a geoblastoma? Or, you know what John McCain and Ted Kennedy suffered? How did they? Uh, did they yeah. have to biopsy it? I'm sorry to get into detail, but I think brain tumor. That's a pretty dire. Yeah, they, they right? biopsy it, and then they and, it, and then they they checked it out, and then it came back to be benign. So, yeah, they had to they had to send it out to be biopsy. They tested it. Full disclosure: I'm Robin Farzad. We're talking to Kyle Grooms, a funny man who once made me laugh so hard <laughs> when I saw his act in Denver in 2017 that I thought I was going to have an aneurysm. <laughs> it turns out he went off in 2019 and had. Yeah had a, a brain hemorrhage and a, and a seizure, which led to emergency brain surgery. But ever the, the, the comedian and a spectator of life, he released in 2020 
a stand-up special that documented his ordeal, Kyle Groom's Brain Humor, uh, which can be streamed on Amazon Video. Uh, Take me to the way back, Kyle. I always was interested in your story, your childhood, where you started off. I I know it's a lot of back and forth between New Jersey and Miami. When did you find your voice? When did you know that you had a living as a nationally touring comedian? Uh, Well, it was probably my, I was working at Univision at the time. I was an art director. And I started doing stand-up at night just as a hobby. And I, I did a show in, I believe it was Boca, like maybe like at a Boca country club, my third time in. And I did a joke. And uh, I think it was about the color purple and how blacks are portrayed on television. And it just went over so well that I was like, wow. And that's when the bug hit me. And, and, I, and it just became something I pursued more than as a hobby. But then once I started focusing on that more I, and less on my art director's job, I knew it was time to uh, switch to stand up. And once I could feed myself doing stand up, I said, it's time to go. <laughs> so pick it apart. Pick it apart for me. Univision right right out of college, or you were there as an art director out of design school in your 20s, and you decided you had this itch. Yeah, to I used go- to be a graffiti artist in New Jersey um, and throughout high school. That, that just drove me ah, artistically. Yeah, artistically. I was a graffiti artist. I used to spray paint on, like, you know, on bridges and tunnels, all kinds of stuff and jackets. And I was got into graphic arts. So then I came to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale for art school because, you know, you didn't have to take an SAT. It was sunny. So, hey, I'm going to Miami. And uh, then after after that, I, I got an internship at WTVJ in Miami, which led to me moving around. I know it well. Uh, I was Yeah, when it was on uh, Miami, when it was in downtown Miami, you know, and uh, right. Then I, I worked, uh, I think, in freelance at WSVN. Then I worked at uh, PBS in Miami. Then I worked at uh, yo. Channel you worked C- at the hold up. You worked. You worked at the Newsplex. Yeah, you worked at PBS at in uh, North Miami Beach. Yeah, I used to, I used to love it because uh, no, the Newsplex, the WSVN, oh, the SVN. The WSVN. Oh yeah, P- yeah. I worked at the Newsplex on on the Causeway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've worked there. That's supposed to be plenty of comedy comedy material there, just alone. Could you tell us about the first gig, how you found out about it? So what gets you from the art director scene in kind of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, to playing a country club in Boca? Like, talk about a man out of place. Like, I, you, did, you, did you just say, <laughs> what happens in Boca will stay in Boca if I go up there and it bombs? It's never going to follow me back to the 305? <laughs> Hey, now, when I first started comedy, I would take a gig wherever I could get it. You know, if you say it's in Boca, it's in Boca. If it's in, yeah, Ghouls, it's in Ghouls. A homestead, uh, yeah, I'm I'm everywhere. Bell Glades, it doesn't matter. Central Village, Cemetery Village. You got to tell me about that, though. You showed up, your very first gig. Timestamp it for me, roughly when was it? Oh, my very first gig, I was, um, to be honest, was in New Jersey. It was at a, a hair show for my ex-girlfriend, who she worked at a hair salon, and uh, they had like a hair show, and I said, hey, I could do stand-up. And then I went up and, and killed for 15 minutes, you know? And uh, it was mostly Hispanic crowd. At a hair salon? Yeah, the hair, yeah it was a hair show. Yeah, it was, it was a group of people. Like the hair salon had a hair show. It's kind of like a fashion show, but with hair. And then on top of that, they have like... Did you get paid for it? Did they give you a sandwich or fish and chips or anything? 
Uh, yeah, I got like a free soda, like a lunch, some uh, pollo guisado. I think I got a Dominican <laughs> meal. I think I got a good Dominican meal out of it. Some, yeah, <laughs> some so, rice and beans. Take me to the Boca thing. You said, well, we've had comics on and comedians on. We've always asked them what the inception point is. So I guess you were driving back from Boca that night after you barnstormed, I don't know, whatever it was, Boca West, or let's say the country club. And you said, you know what? I think I could make a living yeah, out of this. Yeah, that, because if my, have if that my realization, jo- that epiphany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if my if I could connect with these people with the material that I just did, uh, yeah, this is what I want to do. That it just felt so good, and uh, you know, I got to express myself. wasn't offensive, and it was like you know, yeah, I, it, it was dope. I, yeah, that's when I I got the tickle. I got the bug. You say to do stand-up forever. Kyle, what about anxiety? What about the notorious the notorious dead time and anxiety, like the nightmares, the cold sweats that a comic wakes up with when nobody laughs and you could hear the click and clack of the glasses? Yeah, to be my anxiety, where I started, like I actually started in, in Studio 183. I don't know if you know, it's in Carroll City. There used to be a flea market in Miami, Studio 183 flea market. Oh, yeah. And that's where I really began like that's why I say I started I got my comedy chops because it's a it was like a urban room they say you know it was an urban room uh everybody from like middle class upper class lower class drug dealers doctors uh NFL players every the whole mix of the black community was there you know gold teeth no gold teeth you know it was it was the hood, basically. And um, that's where I started comedy, Studio 183. And coming from, like, working as an art director, I would go there dressed kind of like conservative. You know, Banana Republic, Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, that type of style. I had to work hard to overcome just the way I looked. <laughs> and with glasses, too. So, yeah. I, 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 paved, the, I paved the way for black nerds. <laughs> You paved the way. You, as you say in your act, you and Steve Urkel, but you're not Urkel. Yeah. You could be a very menacing Urkel. Uh, but tell me about tell me about your big break. When did the big guys come knocking? When was it outside a kind of provincial I-95, 305, 954, 561 to getting called up to New York and L.A.? You know, I did um, – well, Def Jam, I did my second year in stand-up. Uh, my second year doing uh, 97. I started in 95. I did Def Comedy Jam in 97. But that was, it wasn't a big break. It was just like, oh, I can still do this. I was still actually working at Univision. I had to take, uh, vacation days to go shoot Def Comedy Jam. But I think in 2001, I did, Jamie Foxx used to have a comedy festival in Atlanta called Laughapalooza. And that's when I met a New York manager, like, and they were like, hey, you need to come to New York and hone your craft. And, you know, that's when I was like, okay. So I left Miami and went to New York, you know, and and, yeah, that's when I learned really how to be a stand-up because you got to see Jim Norton, Patrice O'Neill's, Greg Giraldo, all these guys perform, Colin Quinn. Chris Rock would come through, Dave Chappelle. So it was, it was a mecca stand-up. And I, I had to get rid of all my hacky Miami comedy and learn to be a, a real stand-up comedian. You know, Kyle, how did you make ends meet when you moved to New York? Well, I made ends meet by moving back into my mama's basement. <laughs> now, my mother, 
my mother um <laughs> my mother lives in Perth Amboy, New Jersey still. So uh for the first year or two I stayed with her and I, I booked gigs, you know. I I, I my I, I was off and running my first year in New York. You know, you could book enough local gigs, enough college gigs. Then I started getting TV sets and getting TV exposure. And uh once I, I got uh I got on the Chappelle show, maybe my second year in New York, maybe my first year in New York. And um, and moving to New York, you, you work every day. You could be on stage every night. I think I was on stage every night in New York. Kyle Grooms, tell me about the Chappelle show. I'm dying to know what it was like to get the call up because, you know, that thing is a it's it's a cultural totem. I think it debuted. What was it in 2003? early 2003 and the stuff is just quoted left and right i mean charlie <laughs> murphy the late charlie murphy the yeah. late rick james i mean this stuff is is uh it you know he's a he's a legend and it's amazing that it's already almost two decades ago but tell me where you were when you got that call and what they said and how excited you were and where they where they took you out to and what the whole process and the feedback was like uh you know it's funny uh the way i got the Chappelle show neil brennan like I uh, was working at the Boston Comedy Club in Manhattan, lower Manhattan. And I didn't know who he was. I didn't know. I just thought he was a, a new comic just trying to work out some material, you know. And I was like, yo, man, you funny. You know, you should hang in there. You know, keep it up. Your stuff is tight. You know, you you doing well. You know, you 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 got it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I I write with Chappelle. I'm his writing partner and the co-creator of Chappelle show. And, you know, then that's how I got on that. And I knew Dave, but I didn't, you know, I know him, but not like that, just in passing. And I've done a few shows with him. And then they invited me to come in and do some sketches with Dave. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And then they asked me to come and write on the show, start writing, submitting stuff. And then that's when uh, Dave left. He left that week. We were actually shooting the last sketch. I think I was in the last few sketches before he left. You cross pads, you cross pads with Ashy Larry and Charlie Murphy and all these 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 various people who went off to have amazing careers after Chappelle. Yeah, well, I I, I knew Donnell Ashy Larry before Chappelle show. Me and him, we was on like the the urban comedy scene together. Charlie Murphy, I just knew from TV, but I met Charlie once I signed on to. Well, I I started going to the set. And then I I was uh, doing the I'm Rich tour. It was uh, Donnell, Charlie, Bill Burr, and myself. And then Bill started getting his own thing. So then it was me and Donnell and Charlie. And then it was down to me and Charlie. <laughs> and then, yeah, then Charlie went on and got became a better comedian and went on his own and started having people open for him. But uh, yeah, I, we all kind of know those guys. I already kind of knew those guys before Chappelle's show. Yeah. Isn't it amazing to look back now and you can't think of Prince without thinking about the Chappelle skit with the basketball and the pancakes. You can't <laughs> think of Rick James, you know, rest in peace. You can't think of him without that infamous I'm Rick James B skit. You can't think of, you know, a lot of people think about Charlie Murphy more than they do Eddie Murphy because it was so, oh, yeah. you know, it was, it was a risky bet that this guy, so the backstory is that this guy had such long tails, like ridiculous mm -hmm. Hollywood tall tails that he's like, why don't you tell him and we can reenact them? And that then kind of became the genesis. If you watch Drunk History and a bunch of other programs, it's second nature yeah. today, mm. but it was definitely... It was definitely a creative risk. Like you could imagine it getting cut 
left on the cutting room floor back in 2004, 2005. Oh, yeah. And and, and, it, and it was a brilliant idea because uh, Charlie is a amazing storyteller. And I love hearing his stories. He's like, I miss him still to this day. You know, it was recently he passed. It was the anniversary of his death. And yeah, Charlie's an amazing storyteller. Like the world didn't even get to see how funny Charlie is, man. Well, they did, but they didn't, you know. But I'm learning a lot being a father, man. I didn't know girl babies learned to speak before boy babies. Like when I'm on a playground, my daughters are speaking complete sentences and the boys are walking around like, uh, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> bumping their heads on the swing, licking the seesaw. And my daughter's like, father, this child is peculiar. Can we go home now, daddy? I want to watch Bubble Guppies. My daughters, man, they something. They daddy me to death, too. Daddy, 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 which feels good, man. You know, really feel, you know it really feels good to have somebody call me daddy, and I'm really their father. <laughs> Full disclosure, stay with us. This show, podcast, NPR One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fulldradio and DM me. Uh, get into my DMs if you'd like to get in touch and carry it on your air. If you're just joining us, we are talking to Kyle Grooms, a veteran funny man who I met at the International Church of Cannabis back in 2017. Unbelievably, as I kept up with him, and his stuff is hilarious, he went back and in 2019 had a seizure, which led to emergency brain surgery, and the stuff was processed. Thank God he came out of it, and the, the benign growth was taken out of his brain, but you could see Kyle Grooms' brain humor on Amazon Video. Uh, tell me what it was like adapting that experience and being, you know, I've seen this stuff on YouTube, Kyle. You're both vulnerable and paternal and grateful to your wife for taking care of you, but you're also cracking ridiculous things. Like you're saying, you know, now I can be sure that these are my kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you know, I had to keep humor, man. It, it's just part of what I do. You know, after if I, if something bad happens, that's, that's, Part of what it is, right? Richard Pryor made fun of him setting fire. You got to say something, you know. I can't just go on and you know what it is. It's part of the art form, you know. So if anybody goes on YouTube or your various social media channels, they can see the stitches on your cranium. They can see you in the hospital. They can see you using an articulated spoon to eat applesauce while your wife cheers you on. Um, when <laughs> did it occur to you to kind of get all this down on, on you know, camera and radio just to have it documented? Yeah, the director, Dean Alexander, he, it was his idea, you know, you know, he was, he's a young, hungry photographer. And he said, hey, you know, we should document this. And I was like, what? I got stitches in my head, bro. You know, and then uh, I allowed him to do it. And I said, and I, then I decided I wanted to do a special anyway. I said, yeah, I should probably document this and make a special out of it. And I couldn't drive for six months, so I couldn't go to spots. Uh, so I, from September to January when I shot it, I, I had to put together a set, you know, an hour set, chopped it down to a half hour, and then chopped it down to 15 minutes with some other stuff, and it worked out. It worked out well. 
Kyle, how involved was your brain surgery? They took out a benign growth, but there's a significant thing. I mean, they have to drill into the the hard bone and then there's the layer, there's the kind of the flap underneath it. And then to go in and take out the, the neoplasm or whatever it is, how long was that surgery? How involved was it? What was the risk of you losing uh, verbal or motor skills? Oof. Well, any, well, my doctor explained to me that he didn't explain, he didn't go in depth really until after my, my checkup, but he was saying he had sure. to do like drill holes to just like to score it, you know, and, and then he had to cut along. I, he basically, he just said he had to do drill pre drill holes that, that freaked me out already. And then they had to saw it open and split it. It, it was too, I don't know what they, I really don't know, but yeah, what the whole thing was, but just that they had to open me up anytime, you know, and, the, and if they touch your brain, it was my left frontal lobe. So that controls my creativity and everything. So what did it feel like? What did it look like when you woke up, when you came to, what did it feel like? Oh, you know what, to be honest, when I, they put me to sleep on propofol, you know, that is so it like when I woke up, yeah, that, it's, that stuff's amazing. I didn't feel I didn't feel a thing, man. I woke up and when you're in the hospital, they ask you like, who's the president? When's your birthday? What day is it? What do you know the date? Do you know where you are? And I do remember the first question they asked me was, uh, what year is it? And, uh, I said 1969, <laughs> which is ironic because it's, that's my birthday, but you know, but. <laughs> I just got it wrong, but to me, it felt like I was born again, you know, on that day. That's like, that's my birthday, you know. I know it's 2019, but it feels like my birthday again, you know. (laughs) I saw on your video that you you lost it. You lost it when your nephews came. You said you lost it, and that was kind of a moment where you briefly lost control and you gave in to the crying, and you realized how how loved you were universally. Yeah. I mean, the beautiful things you say about your wife. Yeah. How she took care of you, how the kids yeah. rallied. Just and the then, nephews and, coming into the ER. I mean, talk to me about that. Yeah, just saying my nephews, because, you know, you, you want to be strong for you Not that you want to be strong, but it's like just to be in that position. Now you're vulnerable, like you, you're humbled. It's like there's nothing you can do now. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like no matter how much... You take care of yourself, you work out, you exercise. It's like, boom. I never thought I would be in a hospital bed like that, you know? And then when I found out how concerned the comedy community was for me, how much they were like, you know, they started a GoFundMe. My friend Marina Franklin did that. And then, and then how much they started donating and people were really on pins and needles and cared that, you know, whether I lived or died, you know, that was like, wow, you know, I felt like, I got my funeral, my flowers ahead of time. You know, a lot of comedians pass and then we all post pictures and post, you know, stuff about them on, on social media. But me, I feel like I got to see the love before. Like, whoa, wow. Okay. You know, that, that, that moved me. That, that, that humbled me. That, it almost embarrassed me. Like, wow. You know, hmm. Kyle. Tell me about the recovery process and rehabilitation and, uh, you know, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Well, you know, once I was in the hospital, they were giving me therapy. But then once I left the hospital mm. and they cleaned up the, the mess that was in my head, they mopped it up and everything and closed it up. I actually, to be honest, really started to just rejuvenate on its own. They, they, they put me on Kepra 
which is an anti-seizure medication and it's to help with the healing and stuff. And um, since then, I had a few, two MRIs. One was delayed because of the COVID, but I just recently got it and I got a clean, uh, you know, clean slate. It was, it was a good checkup. Uh, Everything seems to be normal. And yeah, and by the grace of God, I haven't really had any, any therapy, nothing. You know, my, my comedy, my wit is returning. I remember all my material, remember my childhood. I remember everything, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm, I just lucky. I dodged a bullet. I've heard of people having the same thing, but in another part of their brain that they can't get to. You know, I've heard people losing half their brain. I just, all kinds of stories about people with their brains since this, this happened to me. Like people inbox me about stuff. Yeah, I'm just so lucky. For you didn't. So here's the thing: you didn't want to get your revenge against vegan food and have a big old steak. <laughs> no, because I kind of contribute my my plant based lifestyle to my fast recovery. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it just helped me re- regenerate my cells. You know. <laughs> Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to comedian Kyle Grooms. He's appeared on VH1, NBC, uh, The Chappelle Show. He appeared in Amy Schumer with Amy Schumer in the film I Feel Pretty, as well as a half-hour special on Comedy Central. So as I like to quote, you know, you're a young guy, but I like to say you're definitely internationally known and known to rock a microphone. Uh, what does that feel like? You're not you're not out there looking for art director gigs or graphic <laughs> design gigs. That you are a man in demand. Oh man, this feels great. You know, once somebody said that I was a journeyman, and I was like, no, I'm not a journeyman. I'm you know. But then I then I sat back and I was like, you know, it's kind of good to be a journeyman because then that means you're on a journey, and you know, hopefully you'll always be fed and eating. And I'm still doing what I love, and you know. 25 years later. Well, I quit my day job in 2000. So, and you know, 21 years later, you know, I'm still going. I have to ask you about what you thought of uh, Dave Chappelle's monologue on George Floyd. It was done outdoors in the throes of the pandemic, 846, yeah. which is the haunting time that, you know, uh, this uh, unarmed yeah. African-American male now it's a infamous and famous character in history, mm. almost a martyr, was effectively murdered. I mean, it wasn't just funny, funny stuff. It's yeah. it's uh it's really venturing into a territory that you were wondering, you had to wonder where is there room for traditional comedy last year? This had to be especially scathing. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And uh I mean it was a it was a it was a really angry meditation. Yeah. Yeah. When I watch Dave, it it almost resets my my uh focus because you know that's what comedy is supposed to kind of be you know like that like for me you know that's how i i love it like that that it was so organic and people say it really wasn't funny but it was kind of thought provoking and then you kind of kind of fill in the if you know funny you could fill in the blanks you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. and sometimes it's funny not ha ha funny but funny and hard, that's funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. But Dave is, you know, just to watch him work, it don't have to be yuck, yuck, hoo-hoo, 10 jokes or, you know, whatever jokes per minute, laugh per minute. And you, he could always be funny. He could always throw in a, you know, banana peel somewhere. But, you know, you you know that's possible. But he's, yeah, he's like a Jedi, bro. He ain't got to do all that work. 
I'm quoting from the Vox, the Vox profile, the Vox write-up of, of Chappelle's 846 in 2020. During the throes of the pandemic and the in the wake of the 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 George Floyd protests across the country, I'm quoting here, drawing a comparison to the terror Chappelle felt during the 1994 Northridge earthquake, he points out that despite his fear and panic and the conviction that he was going to die, the earthquake only lasted less than 30 seconds in total. I'm quoting Chappelle, this man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Hmm. Can you imagine hmm. that? Hmm. It's what it is, man. That's and the comics ain't really saying it like that. So direct. Well, Kyle, I, I think back. I think back to you know. I'm going to go back to the Chappelle show where he he left. He thought that there was a certain laugh or cackle that he didn't appreciate. That he couldn't do social commentary without being caricatured, and the country missed him. Mm-hmm. And there was a long silence. A couple of you know, a couple of of uh, abortive comebacks and everything, but this was a true. You know, exclamation coming back that I don't have to be a caricature, that I don't I'm not here yeah. to assuage you or to to provide escapism. This is how it is in yeah. its raw, <clears throat> real truth. You don't you don't have to play zip coon. That's what I say. You don't play zip coon, you know? Yeah, I, I could see that. And I, I could see him leaving too. I actually still have that script. I was in that sketch that made him uncomfortable that he left. And uh yes. Yeah, was that the airplane? Was that the airplane yeah, sketch was, with, was, the, with the actually the script title is called Pixie. That's what it says on the on the script. You know, it was literally called Pixie. And he just said that in the table read, the way one of the other writers laughed, he realized yeah. that this isn't something he wanted to continue doing. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. You know, because comics have a sense of humor that sometimes we we good for it, and especially back in the 1900s. You know what I mean? That we we're yeah. good with it, but is it socially responsible? You know, and and now a lot of the stuff that was cool for us to do now, we seeing how it plays out in society. Like people don't get the joke; they just get the caricature. They don't get they they're not nuanced enough to, or sophisticated enough to know that nah, this is what he's doing is actually parodying what some of us do. But then they they lump it. It's just a weird trick bag for me you know i think when you when you when you're doing stuff like that Kyle Grooms in closing uh in the few minutes we have left with you you know I, sometimes i call this open skate like free skate back at the roller skating rinks in the 1980s where the dj's like you know couples everybody just come one come all we're going to play air yeah, supply free skate or uh, <laughs> or Lionel Richie but i'm actually before we even get into that i have to ask you there is a convergence of your design skills now with what is expected of a comedian kind of in the pandemic streaming from home environment. There are people who've made names for themselves on Twitter and Instagram doing monologues. You saw the woman who made a living impersonating Donald Trump. You see Kylie Mm -hmm. Brakeman and others. I was amazed when I saw you post this uh, montage of Scarface with Tony Montana laughing, with the Brazilian drug dealer laughing, with you putting yourself (laughs) in there. And it's like, take it to the limit. I mean that oh, yeah. you know that it is up the the game and the demands of a comedian right now. You kind of have to be out there as your own producer, marketing person, hustling on social media. Talk to us about that. Oh yeah, it definitely opened it up and it exposed a lot of people. You know their work ethic too, and it's a catch twenty two because you 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 want to be a a great stand up and that's where we bring people out and people come see us. 
But then there's a whole new market of, you know, the Internet. And then now there's going to do a Bitcoin is going to have a platform. So these platforms keep developing that uh, like I rejected doing stand up online at first. But then I made like a, a few hundred bucks in my living room and I was and didn't have to go anywhere. I was like, oh, and then it wasn't that bad. It was just like talking to my camera or something. If I were a talk show host or something, <laughs> you know, that's what I'd be doing. So now I could do it from your living room. Are you itching to get back up on a stage in front of an audience? Oh, no, I'm, I'm in I'm in Miami. So we've been I've been on stage since. June. <laughs> Florida, Florida don't care, man. <laughs> These people, they're like, <laughs> yeah, I've been performing since. And, and plus now I started doing my own Thursday night in Miami at the Urban. It's a, it's a new place in uh, historic Overtown. You know, it's being revitalized with black businesses and like the Red Rooster and, and the Urban. And uh, we have a comedy night yeah. called Laugh Lounge Miami that I do every Thursday. I got to ask you, while I have you, what do you think about the international attention suddenly on Miami? Everybody's saying it's a new New York. A lot of people quarantined there. A lot of the restaurants coming there. A lot of tech bro yeah, and Bitcoin and bro money. Um, you know. Yeah, it's supposed to be a, a Bitcoin, you know, the, the mecca for Bitcoin. That's what they're trying to do. But they've always said Miami, since, since the 80s, they've said Miami's going to be the next Hollywood. That's always have been the rumor. Then they start shooting a few productions here and then it doesn't. But I think now because of the pandemic, uh, New York has gotten a little, New York showed a little weakness. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they got exposed a little bit. And then it's like, why live in that kind of clutter when you could have sunshine? And I think if people return to nature, they're going to want to move out of the cities, you know, play Miami's kind of chill. It's got, it's metropolitan and it's close enough to New York, a two hour flight. So there you go. Kyle Grooms, close us out at the few minutes we have left with you. Lessons learned, stuff you want your, your kids to know about this experience, um, humility, health, all these things coming out of this really surreal experience that you had. Again, in 2017, you were really on the fast lane. I mean, you were really painfully, painfully funny. And it broke my heart to see that you had this turmoil in 2019 ahead of a year of pandemic and racial unrest and everything. It's a lot to kind of emerge from in terms of business as usual. Yeah. Um, to be honest, all the stuff that's been happening in 2020, 2021, I'm really grateful to be here just to witness it. <laughs> to be honest, you know, I, I want to be here when the Martians land. I want to see what they're like as well, you know. And uh, it, just, it just showed me that it could be taken from you at to be humble. You could be it could be taken from you at any moment. You never know what'll happen to you in life. So, you know, let go and let God, to be honest. Uh, that's what I learned in the last few years. And my daughters were there and they, they experienced it too. So and they, they I think they became stronger and wiser because of it, because they, they saw their father almost go down, you know? So uh take care of yourselves, everybody. When we come out of this quarantine, you know. Hopefully we'll all be better. I don't know. I doubt it. But I thought once we had the quarantine, people would sit back and be like, oh, you know, we appreciate nature and things are going to we'll sit back and have a breather. But nah, it just got it just exposed a lot. 
Kyle Grooms, I am so grateful that you've shared this candor with us. I'm going to leave uh, our listeners um, with a couple couple minutes of your comedy routine, brain humor, stand-up special. Uh, tell us your, your digits and everything where you could be found, what your plans are for the balance of 2021. Yeah, Kyle at KyleGrooms.com. That's my website. Uh, at Kyle Grooms on Instagram and uh, Laugh Lounge Miami if you're in Miami on a Thursday night and want to have a good time. LaughLoungeMiami.com. That's about it. Kyle Grooms. See you on stage. Brainy, funny man, Kyle Grooms. I'm going to leave you with some of his 2020 stand-up special. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Pleasure doing this, man. This has been a really humbling experience for me, man. I thank God that I'm alive, you know? I can still be here for my family, my wife, my kids. Man, and the, the love and support that I got from my comedy family, my friends, it's just overwhelming. I feel like I need to make something out of myself now. <laughs> but for now, I'm just gonna continue to do what I do, do what I love. That's stand-up comedy, traveling the world and making people laugh. Yeah, I got out of the hospital, man. I was religious for like two weeks. I'd wake up every morning with my Pandora on the gospel station. Just another day, my Lord has kept me here. Yes, it did. Just another day that I've been in my Savior's care. I want to say he threw, he threw his loving arms all around me. Yes, he did. And there I found, I found peace and joy in there. Oh, thank you. Some of y'all appreciate it. Some of y'all are like, karaoke night is next week. <laughs> Full disclosure, special thanks on this episode to Claire Morgan of Notterly. This show podcasts to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com. Please rate us. Please subscribe. Please recommend us to others. Additionally, we are available over the air in Northern Virginia, D.C., Asheville, North Carolina, Ventura, California. Holler if you would like us on your air. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening. Back with you next week.